It's time for Real Ag Radio on Rural Radio Channel 147 on Sirius XM. Radio and realagriculture.com is your home for insight and analysis of the issues that are impacting your farm business. Let's get real and get connected with Real Ag Radio. Welcome to Real Ag Radio here on Rural Radio 147, Sirius XM. Sean Haney, your host here on this Friday edition of the show. Hey, thanks so much for making Real Ag Radio and Rural Radio 147 a big part of your work day. And a big shout out to everybody also listening out there on the Real Ag Radio podcast, no matter where you are, Canada, the U.S. or beyond. And uh, it's great to have you here. Today, it's Friday. We've got a beef market update with Ann Wasco. We're going to find out about some of the updated trade numbers. We're also going to hear what's happening with pricing and a lot of stuff happening. This is placements in, in Canada. Definitely. She's going to talk about this, but definitely extending the fall run. The fall run has moved into summer, a uh, very, very much drought related. So we'll get uh, all the ins and outs of that with Ann Wasco today on Real Leg Radio. We've also got a Real Leg Issues panel. Kelvin Hepner, Lindsay Smith will be here. We're going to talk about, well, Minister McCauley out and about talking to farmers and ranchers across Western Canada, which is always, I, I think, appreciated by the West. We've also got a cabinet meeting, a retreat next week. It'll be held in PEI. Uh, we're going to talk about my discussion with Brian Burke, hockey executive who spoke at CBIC this week. Got some updates on Bill 282, that supply management bill. So yeah, lots of stuff to discuss here with the panel and really, really looking forward to it. If you have any feedback on the program. We would love to hear from you. You can send me an email, shaney at realagriculture.com. You can also find us across all the different social media platforms, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Threads. We're across all of them. And uh, you could do that by just searching Real Agriculture. It's our common username across all those platforms. Or you can call the Real Ag Feedback line. Now, the number is 855-776-6147. One of the longest standing segments we've done at realagriculture.com and Real Ag Radio is the beef market update. And Ann Wasco is standing by. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're talking cattle. You're listening to Real Ag Radio, Rural Radio 147, Sirius XM. Does your end stabilizer contain an active ingredient load high enough to be agronomically effective? If not, it could be costing you time and money. If you're putting down a nitrogen stabilizer, put your trust in Coke Agronomic Services. Solutions like SuperU, Tribune, and Anvil. Each delivers high active ingredient concentrations that low-rate products just can't match. Compare how imitator products stack up to agronomically effective solutions at defendyourn.ca. The Pulse School on realagriculture.com has everything you need to get your crop off to a great start and a strong finish. Whether you're growing chickpeas, fava beans, lentils, or peas, you'll get all the latest and best agronomic information at pulseschool.com. A library of top-notch agronomy videos from industry experts available on demand at your fingertips. Visit The Pulse School, brought to you by BASF on realagriculture.com. Infuse some energy into your next corporate event, customer meeting, or conference with Real Ag Radio, Canada's national agriculture radio show. Create a unique experience at your next event with host Sean Haney, broadcasting Real Ag Radio live on Sirius XM, featuring exciting guests, captivating interviews, and the latest news from the agriculture community. 
contact advertising at realagriculture.com or call 587-787-1795 to book your on-location with Real Ag Radio today. And welcome back to Real Ag Radio here on this Friday. Let's dig into the cattle markets. It's now time for a beef market update with Ann Wasco, the Gateway Livestock Exchange. Ann, how are you doing on this Friday? I am doing good, but I'm going to also add, because I was listening this week, I also do not have a present for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that was extremely nice of Todd Miller. And if you missed a Wednesday show where we broadcasted live from the Canadian Beef Industry Conference, one of the guests was Todd Miller, CEO of Tech Canada, and he brought me a, a gift as a, as a guest on the show. That This is a nice, maybe this is like a new thing he started. It, well, it was, I, I don't think it should go to your head. I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, well, yes, that that is that is, we'll make sure it doesn't. Okay, uh, now we are midway in August, and this cattle market is something. Give us an update mm-hmm. where we are with prices on both sides of the border. Okay, well, first of all, in the U.S. this week, uh, markets were a little bit lower, one to two lower here at the close. So we'll call the south one seventy eight to one seventy nine, and in the north one eighty five to one eighty seven live. Their dress trade, 293 to 294 delivered. So off a little bit from where they had been. But, you know, Sean, that market in the U.S. had really chopped sideways for pretty much six weeks, which for the summer is um, not typical. Uh, the cutout, this is, you know, finally we got some action on the that wholesale price. So the choice cutout last night closed at 314. That's 12 bucks higher than last week's close. And finally, these smaller kills that we've been seeing in the U.S. finally led to this, this strengthening in the cutout. Smaller beef production, higher cutout price. So that's, that's happened. It's just taken a little longer than most people thought. It also, from a timing perspective, Sean, is um, really, really good for the interest for beef sales ahead of uh, Labor Day. So <clears throat> typically, we kind of get this this uh, improvement uh, in leading into Labor Day, and so this uh, this fits that pretty good. Locally, just to finish on the prices, our Fed market here in Western Canada was pretty much steady. We'll call it three eighty eight to three ninety three delivered dressed, meaning that Canfax will probably come out with a live average later today around that two thirty four. Can that's how we finish up? Okay, can can demand sustain a higher cutout like? How should we view this from an overall market working, you know, all these variables connecting together? Well, and I'm, I'm sure everyone that was at the conference, um, if you were listening to Brenda Grant's um, presentation and she would have talked about demand, but certainly it's a measurement of two pieces, um, supply and price. And so certainly with that smaller production that we're seeing on both sides of the border and now higher prices, it's going to be, a weighting of those those two things. So right now to see the, you know, the cutouts still running at levels which are historically high for this time of year, um, that would still lead us to be able to say that beef demand is still certainly holding its own. That's still a question though in all of our minds as we go further down deeper into 23 um, and, and uh, on into 2024 as consumers continue to feel the pinch in terms of higher interest rates and 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 basically all of their costs in terms of housing and food and all the rest of it. But today, Sean, I think we can confidently still say demand is good for beef. Do you have some trade data to share with us? Yeah. So, well, 
maybe do you mind? Can I just wanted to kind of remind uh, folks that we've got a Catalan feed report mm. coming out later today for the U.S. But let me just go there first before I forget. Um, we've got uh, the trade expectations for the August one U.S. report on feed uh, 98.4% of last year. July placements, 94.5%, and July marketing, 94.8%. So all those numbers, the futures have basically prepared for smaller numbers, smaller supplies coming out of uh, the report. And so that's what we'll see um, happens later today. And I, I also just wanted to share this one comment. In Canada, we had our Catalan feed report, Campfax released it last Friday. And one of the things that I think we'll see is very different from the U.S. report um, was we are clearly showing in Western Canada the impact of the drought. July placements were up substantially in that report and uh, not quite at the 2021 drought levels, but certainly well up from last year in the second biggest July placement um, since 2006. So it's clearly showing in our on-feed reports what's going on here in Western Canada. Long term, that's not good. It, well, it, what it does, Sean, it, it, it stretches and makes our placement pattern longer. You know, we're going to start placing now instead of just a condensed fall run, we're going to have a, a, a fall run that goes from June to December. So, you know, I guess you can look at it from a few different ways, but we can't place them twice. I guess I would say that. <laughs> no, no. Okay, <laughs> trade data. <laughs> okay, finish up on the trade data. Um, StatsCan released the June um, beef export numbers for Canada. We were down 12%. Not a big surprise because we've been talking about the smaller production. It's going to mean smaller exports, I think. Uh, Year-to-date, we're still just down 3%, but we're going to continue to to kind of um, kick at that number. This was the fourth consecutive month of smaller exports, um, but really no surprise. Like I said, Fed, Fed production is down 8%. Total beef production in Canada is down 6%. Sales to the U.S. were down 5 to Japan down 43%, and to Mexico, they were still up 52%. Why, why are and we down so much to Japan? Japan has really been struggling. Uh, U.S. trade uh, is also uh, down into Japan. So I think, you know, just l- looking at the whole economic picture in terms of uh, where beef is moving from. And two, remember, we've got some of the highest priced beef in the world right now in North America, and it's um, it's... It's not moving well into into a market that's struggling on the economic side. Okay, if, I think I don't know if, I don't think you gave the number of feeder cattle imports. Oh yeah, sorry, I, I did want to finish up. Uh, you know, we haven't talked about this much lately, but we did see a big jump in feeder cattle imports into Canada from the U.S. in the month of June. They were they hit twenty nine thousand head. Last year, there were only 11,000 head in July, so a big, or sorry, in June, so that's a big uh, year-over-year jump, um, and of course, a big net import of, of uh, feeder cattle when you look at exports and imports together. Year-to-date, we're sitting as a net importer of feeder cattle to the tune of 76,000 head, so we continue to see month after month uh, a pretty regular supply of feeder cattle moving north of, of uh, uh uh, from the U.S. into Canada. Yeah, market conditions have to line up in order for you know that to make sense. But it, it would it would sort of seem that going forward, this is going to be more of the norm that we're a net cattle f- feeder cattle importer. Is that or is that too strong of a statement to make at this point? Well, I I, I think you're on to something. Certainly, the cow herd's not getting any bigger in Canada. So, if feedlots want to fill pens, and certainly when you look at the 
the amount that we continue to add pen space, especially in uh, Western Canada, um, that that seems to be a, a part of the new supply of, of how you fill pens. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll be following it as always. Uh, and have yourself a great weekend. Really appreciate it. Okay, you too, Sean. Thank you. We'll be back with more of Real Ag Radio here on this Friday. We'll be joined for the Real Ag Issues panel by Kelvin Hepner and Lindsay Smith right after this. Now, there's a reason we call it the corn school. Videos on everything from planter setup, weed control, field trial results, yield strategies, and so much more. The corn school on realagriculture.com has the information and advice you need to help you succeed. Brought to you by Pride Seeds and BSF, corn school episodes are available at cornschool.com, from realagriculture.com, or as a podcast from your favorite streaming service. Download the latest podcast today. If you're involved in the agriculture industry, it's important to stay informed on all the latest issues affecting your business. At realagriculture.com, we offer fast, reliable news, information, and insights to help you keep on top of all of the latest in Canadian agriculture. Visit realagriculture.com and sign up for our free daily newsletter covering everything from news, agronomy, animal agriculture, and much more. Visit realagriculture.com forward slash subscribe today. Hi, I'm Bernard Tobin, host of the Soybean School on realagriculture.com. Throughout the year, on the Soybean School, we'll bring you timely agronomic video content from planting to harvest, from the latest agronomic research to the latest in production technology. Check out our massive video library on YouTube, realagriculture.com, or download the audio podcast versions wherever you get your podcasts. The Soybean School is brought to you by Pride Seeds, BASF, and Syngenta Canada. It's now time for the Real Ag Issues Panel. This segment is brought to you by Granny Boar from U.S. Borax. Ask for it by name. Go to borax.com. Up first is Lindsay Smith coming out of Ottawa, Ontario. Lindsay, how are you doing this week? Um, you know, not bad. I'm fighting a bit of, I don't know, kennel cough or something. So it's been a, it's been a roller coaster of a week, let me tell you. But yeah. we got some hay made. Did so you really? It quit raining. Um, well, yeah, for like, you know. About 48 hours, but it did manage. We didn't actually get it all rolled up. It did start to, start to rain on it last night. So G- Good hay yeah. or just eh, I mean, marginal? It'll be. It's sheep feed, and how, that's okay. How, that's how, all we need. Okay, so you know, how, how uh, sensitive? That's what I'm looking for. How sensitive are sheep to the quality of the hay? Oh, very. I mean, and, and we don't feed garbage by any means. Of course not. Garbage in, garbage out. But uh, we're not trying to make milk, I guess, is the is the key. When we, our sheep are lactating on grass because they lamb in the spring. And so we are just in maintenance mode for the most part over the winter. So we don't need rocket fuel. So when I say it's sheep feed, it means it's, you know, probably a little more mature. It's more like beef cow hay than you would, than dairy hay, I guess is the difference. Makes sense to me. By the way, mm-hmm. Last mm-hmm. weekend, yeah. we uh, went out for supper, and I had uh, at a local restaurant in Lethbridge. I had a tremendous plate of sheep, or not sheep, but lamb gnocchi. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh! I do appreciate good. this about you, Sean. Just about everywhere we go, if there's lamb on the menu, you'll order it. I do. I'm quite, I'm quite proud of you. True story. Yeah. I don't get it at yeah. home, so I got to get it outside the house. That's right. Yeah. And more people should do it. Yeah. Amen. 
Okay, also joining us is Kelvin Hepner out of Altona, Manitoba. Kelvin, how are you doing? Doing well here, Sean. Uh, the wind is uh, howling from the south today. It's nice and warm. Crops are moving along after kind of stalling out here the last couple of weeks. Have you had this heat wave this week? We were 38 degrees Celsius yesterday. Well, it's been it's been kind of warm this week, but it, I, and I think today the high is 30 or something like that Celsius. But yeah, not nearly as hot as uh, what you've seen in Alberta this week. Combines rolling? Ours isn't, but a lot of the neighbors are. We do have some canola down in swaths as of this week. But like I said, things have kind of the smoke and cool overnight temperatures, fog almost every morning. Uh, things have really kind of come to a slow down at least uh, in terms of ripening off. And so the wheat that I thought would be ready like 10 days ago, we're still uh, still waiting for it to be ready. You know, Lindsay, on the past number of weeks in the Farmer Rapid Fire, I've heard from the Ontario growers, hey, corn crop looks phenomenal. But Steve Twinstra followed up yesterday again with, I'm a little bit concerned about where we are with heat units and not saying we're not going to finish, but that is a little bit of my worry with this really fantastic corn crop right now is will we get to the finish line? So, and, and I think it's a valid one for sure. We've got, um, yes, here in the East as well, a really good looking corn crop. Um, but, I, you know, if you've been following along as well with the with Wee Pete's word, for whatever reason, um, we are seven to 10 days, I think, behind perhaps the average in some areas, maybe only three or four days behind in some areas. But, um, you know, depending on when your average frost date is, you start doing the math from tassel to black layer and we could. So and, and so it's interesting, though, because, of course, we've had lots of heat, but we've had we had incredible uh, smoke cover yeah. in June. We've had just so many rainy, cloudy days that, you know, it's you know, a day is not a day right in corn so it's that accumulation of those heat units and yeah i would definitely say that the crop is just not roaring along like it it looks good it's advancing but it just it is a little behind for sure well a good time to know too starting on monday which is agronomic mondays here on the show uh where wheat pete has been joining you know me for i don't know numerous years on on monday's show People have been, the audience has been quite concerned. <laughs> I've had numerous, <laughs> what happened to Wheat Pete? He's been on holidays, everybody. It's okay. He's back yeah. on Monday and uh, I'm going on vacation. So Lindsay's going to be filling in for two full weeks. We think, I, th- I think, I, I think I'll be able to stay away for two weeks. Well, we're going to try it. So for sure next week, the whole week, it'll yeah. be me. And, and I don't worry, everyone. I have Wheat Pete locked down for Monday show. He's so back. He will be back. He's yeah, back. He's back. People yeah. were quite concerned. I should have mentioned it. You probably should have. Yeah. <laughs> see you, Sean, for making Wheat Pete take holidays because he's yes. done. He's done that Monday segment from uh, from places he shouldn't have, or where his yes. where his spouse maybe would would have appreciated if he was actually on holidays while doing. That. Oh, full stop. I, I, I will fully admit I'm a part of the Don't Vacation Well Club. Pete's president. <laughs> that's a great way to put it there, there was but one I, time I, where he was like i'm like he's like well can we because we, we record it sometimes and 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 pete uh he was like well can we do it a little bit earlier and I, that'll be fine that'll work i'm like okay yeah we're, we're getting organized and then i come to find out he didn't he didn't tell me about this but he was actually on vacation in mexico with his family mm-hmm. and, it, mm-hmm. it, and i was like no we're not doing it he's like i want to do it i'm like no, we're not doing it you're t- no, no you're gone and he's like then he got mad well, I love Wee is, Pete. I love. Him. I love. Wee Pete. He is the quintessential extension person, right? Yep. It is. He feels a responsibility, and we love him for it. A responsibility to the growers, um, and and yes, to miss a week 
is a, is a lot for him. So we are all very proud that uh, he and Sheila did head to Portugal. They got their whole clan together, 17 Johnsons, I think he said, under one roof. And so, yes, yeah, so they had a great time, but he'll be back. Don't worry, everybody. He did not see Ronaldo. I did ask him that question. But uh, anyway, uh, this week, who I did see was Lawrence McCauley, Minister of Agriculture. He was in Calgary. He was at the CBIC conference, Canadian Beef Industry Conference, and he was shaking hands, taking pictures, gave an address to the delegates, which was, I'm not sure was planned or unplanned, uh, but uh, he was out on location. He also visited... Davidson, Saskatchewan farmer Rob Stone, who was on the show yesterday, and 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 gang, I asked Rob, what was the the takeaways? What what was what was your impression of what the minister saw on your farm? Here's what Rob had to say. One of the one of the things that uh, that I heard him say uh, was that if if we limit peop- the way that people can produce, that's going to limit your economic opportunities, and that's just not good. That seems pretty profound, Calvin. The question is, will there be follow-through? Yeah, that is the big question. And one of Lawrence McCauley's greatest skills as a politician is visiting with people and making them feel like they have been listened to. And and just that conversation uh, that he has, whether it's on the trade show floor at at the beef industry conference or uh, or visiting Rob Stone and having I, I heard the ch- I heard that he had the chance to drive Rob's combines. He did. That's uh, pretty exciting. And I know, uh, yeah, it's and. And just the fact that he is so willing to meet with people and, and he's, this is already his second trip to Western Canada, uh, meeting with stakeholders in the, in his first three weeks as, uh, in his, his, uh, second term here as, uh, agriculture ministers. So he's extremely willing to meet with people and visit with them. And, and the, the yeah, where the rubber hits the road though is in the, the follow through to a comment like that. And, and what does that mean when it comes to, uh, the cabinet meetings and, raising the voice of agriculture and and uh, sticking up for policy that uh, that doesn't hurt farmers and, and things like that. You know, Lindsay, one of the things that I have heard from the audience of Real Ag Radio and realagriculture.com through the summer here is questions or concerns, a, le- a level of anxiety, I guess would be a way to put it, in regards to what happens with the sustainable ag strategy. And I, and I don't think there's a lot of clear direction yet if they should be more concerned with Macaulay in that role or less concerned about it with Macaulay in that role. But people are, that's on the, that is on their minds. Well, it absolutely is. And, and it should be, it's something that's relatively recent. It's, it's just getting going. Um, so, you know, is this something that is a priority for the ministry and will Macaulay be given essentially the marching orders that it is something to carry forward and to push for? I think that, you know, even just this last conversation and, and, and Rob's comments about, you know, having him on farm. Macaulay is is a diplomat, right? He's he's very diplomatic. He's very friendly. He's going to, you know, shake all those hands and all those sorts of things. You know, is this strategy something he's particularly interested or passionate about? Um, if he's given leeway, if he's not, then I can see it very much floundering because it is unwieldy to to a fault, right? It's 20 some organizations trying to come up with some strategy um, where you've got very differing opinions across the table of what it should even look like. Um, You know, what is the point of it? Where are we? So to me, it's going to come down to whether or not Macaulay personally feels that this is something he wants to champion or if he's told he needs to champion it because 
ultimately it's going to come down to, you know, does he have to, or does he want to at this point? I've never heard anything from him to say that this is something that he feels very passionate about. Uh, but it's pretty early on uh, in him being reappointed as ag minister. So I think we should probably wait for maybe some clues from him if we don't uh, get the mandate letter first. Yeah, I think there, there, oh, go ahead, there's tendency from, uh, I'd say liberal MPs from the Maritimes, though, from Atlantic Canada, that they do have more of a business sense than than some of uh, the MPs from more here, central here. Or, or West Coast parts of of the country in terms of uh, and not having as much of an activist bent in uh, in in mm-hmm. uh, in their positioning and policies. I'd, I'll just make that comment. I think it's mm-hmm. a, a very accurate point for Kelvin. It's why we have him. It's why we have him on. Yeah, <laughs> I think agriculture is going to, ha- and I, I use that as just to encompass all stakeholders. I, I think agriculture is going to be self-disciplined, though, because we we tend to somebody check. You know, we're, we're so starved for attention, and when somebody does talk to us, we just we fall in love instantly. <laughs> uh, I'm not saying that the industry's fallen in love with the minister, but you you know what I mean. There's this positive sort of spin because somebody talked to us. And we're going to have to be, the industry's got to be disciplined to make sure that we're still pushing forward and, and holding, in this case, the government accountable for what the, the interests are of uh, the industry as a whole, or maybe the individual messages of, of those stakeholders. So it's going to be interesting to follow and see what the fall session brings. But uh, Minister McCauley, definitely on the road, meeting with uh, producers and groups across the country. We've got to take a break. We'll be back with more here on Real Ag Radio on the Real Ag Issues panel right after this. Did you know that Pioneer now has a full lineup of Enlist E3 soybeans? Take a look at Pioneer brand Enlist E3 soybeans for the highest yield potential and for the best agronomic package and herbicide trade options. From the lab to the field, Pioneer brand Enlist E3 soybeans are the best in beans, period. Ask your local Pioneer representative about Enlist E3 beans. Whether you're seeding, harvesting, or anything in between, the Wheat School on realagriculture.com has you covered. Timely agronomic information from industry experts available online anytime. Give your wheat crop a good start and a great finish with the Wheat School on realagriculture.com. Brought to you by CNM Seeds, Syngenta Canada, and the Alberta Wheat and Barley Commission. And welcome back to Real Ag Radio for the Real Ag Issues panel. Low-rate MBPT solutions claim to protect nitrogen, but no imitator products delivers like Anvil Nitrogen Stabilizer, the next-gen urease inhibitor from Coke Economic Services. See how others stack up to the proven power for Anvil at DefenderN.ca. Real Ag Issues panel, Sean Haney, Lindsay Smith, and Kelvin Hepner, all of Real Agriculture. And here's another thing I'm picking up, gang. It is that... Even though some votes have passed in Ottawa on Bill C-282, now this is the one that prevents Canada from the future trading away market access for supply-managed commodities. Um, Even though some votes have passed in Ottawa, the industry that is against this bill is not giving up. It came up a lot, a lot at CBIC this week. Happy to talk to the general manager for the Canadian Cattle Association, Ryder Lee. I asked him why they 
were fighting against it so hard. And whether or not this was just about more about the votes in Quebec and Ontario than actual good trade policy, here's what Ryder had to say. You know, you got to climb into somebody's head to figure that one out. And when you look at Bloc versus Liberal versus Conservatives, you know, I think you can find some political stories there. But it's worse. It's not even you can't you can't give any access. It's you can't talk about it, you know, effectively. And so generally our governments have went into these negotiations with that viewpoint that we're not giving up access on this and they can continue to do that and they've done that well and where they haven't they've been very generous in compensation so that's a different scenario than your negotiating partner already knowing that you're not going to talk about this and that's the hands tied piece of this that's just just bad management of your trade files. Lindsay, it, it is really bothering <laughs> the the CAFTA members, you know, the, the non-supply managed commodities. It is really bothering them that this, this is potentially going to become legislation. Well, and as it should. And I, I think, you know, that last part there where he says about managing your trade files, right? I, realistically, Canada is an export nation. We have a whole bunch of trade deals. We probably need to see some of them through and follow them a bit closer to actually be getting the most out of them. Um, But I I completely see from any commodity that is trade dependent, which is quite a few of them, where, you know, this bill potentially is problematic for a very long time. And that's part of the challenge in that, you know, I think that you talk to any trade dependent commodity and they'll always tell you that, you know, we go into any sort of trade deal somewhat, you know, at a disadvantage, let's say from their perspective, because there's going to be this big, you know, push and pull on supply management, potentially it becomes this big albatross that has to be sort of protected or not or whatever. And so then you get legislation that basically takes that off the table. Great for supply management, but where does that leave the trade dependent commodities. It doesn't really work to have a wholesome discussion if, you know, what some people are asking for is going to be the little bit that is a bargaining chip, let's say. So from the supply management perspective, of course, everybody is like, wants to breathe the sigh of relief and be like, great, more of it won't be dealt away. But realistically, it wouldn't necessarily be. It's just a matter of this bill essentially taking it completely off the table. I just think, I think he's right. It puts any any of our trade in just a different sort of light and or any trade negotiation. And I don't know if it ultimately benefits us if we tie our hands. Yeah. What I'm picking up on on that note, Lindsay, is that it's not just they can't, we wouldn't be allowed to trade the market access in the future. The other side knows our position and how we are stuck. And therefore that becomes, you're actually helping the other side in, in, in using leverage and, and that, Kelvin, seems to be where a lot of the concern is here, leading into a potential renegotiation of NAFTA in 2026. Yeah, exactly. And that, well, I'm not sure it's not, yeah, I'm not sure if this comes up in if how it applies to uh, kind of the review of an existing deal, but in terms of new trade discussions, uh, and that's something we probably should get some clarity on whether this would apply to the, the USMCA 
review that is is due in a couple of years. I I do want to make the point though that it's not like no government can bind a future government in terms of legislation. So uh, a future government could always change this law if it really wanted to in a trade negotiation. But like you said, uh, it's the cards are on the table now, and and uh, whichever country or or jurisdiction you're negotiating with knows that uh, it would be that much harder to to make concessions on supply management, and there would be political costs. And, and capital that would need to be expended on that. I'd, I wouldn't be surprised, though, if C-282 gets slow played, kind of the, the puck, ragging the puck might analogy might apply here when it comes to this uh, this bill in the Senate. It, of course, passed through the House of Commons with majority of MPs voting in, in favour back in spring. But in, in the Senate, there has to be a senator that speaks in favour and a senator that speaks against and we've seen horse trading happen around this um, with many other bills, including Bill C-234, the, the carbon tax, the bill that would remove the, the carbon tax from dra- grain drying and, and barn heating. We saw this happen with it back in spring as well before the, the summer break where uh, a, a liberal-affiliated senator didn't speak to it and held off on delayed speaking to it. And as a result, it didn't pass before uh, the the Senate rose for the summer break. I wouldn't be surprised if we see some of that happening here because politically the points have have been gained. All those Bloc MPs and Liberal MPs in Quebec and Ontario can say, hey, we voted in, in favor of it. We did our part. So some of the political uh, value out of the, has already been extracted. And if it uh, hangs in limbo in the Senate and all of a sudden there's a prorogation or, or an election called and it, it slips off the, the order table, well, I, I don't think that's an unlo- completely unlikely scenario. Well, and hey, on another note, Dairy Farmers of Canada and their members, as an example, got what they wanted too. They have on the record, even on the conservative side of the aisle, a lot of high profile conservatives voting for that bill as well. So you've got them on the record too, so it can be used against them going forward. So I think maybe everybody got what they wanted. Well, it won't, the supply managed sector would certainly like to have this in legislation, and and that lobbying continues. But yeah, I I I think this might that might be a kind of a compromise that gets reached if uh, and this all depends on whether there's senators that have, feel strongly enough about this to to take this type of action, but. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll see in the coming months, I guess. Yeah, and Lindsay, the Prime Minister has announced that he'll be holding a cabinet retreat in Charlottetown, PEI, coming up here on the 21st of, of August. Maybe we'll see some mandate letters out of that, maybe, potentially soon. And maybe some photo ops of, like, roasting marshmallows. Anyway, whenever I hear retreat, all I can think about is, like, cabin in the woods and, like, singing. And anyway, um, I know that's not what it is, but that's what happens to my brain. So welcome here. <laughs> anyway, uh, but yes, no, it, um, so, of course, after the cabinet shuffle, a uh, lot of new faces. And uh, there, I think there's been a couple meetings, but this will be sort of a, a large-scale getting together of this cabinet uh, just ahead of, I guess, we hope to see Parliament sitting again. I guess we'll see on that one. Um, and yeah, let's hope that uh, from that or shortly thereafter, we might see some of these mandate letters. So we did mention, of course, what might be on Macaulay's list. We talked last week about what we, we want to see, perhaps, on that list. Um, and uh, so we will be watching for that and, of course, share it with our audience at realagriculture.com and here on the show. Yeah. So let's let's see. I think it wraps the 23rd next week. So That's what we're... Okay. Yeah. Yeah. A uh, good spot to go. It's a long ways for those MPs on the West Coast. <laughs> there, there will be some tough conversations, though. Anita Anand, who has been shuffled to be the Treasury Board president, has told her cabinet colleagues they need to find $15 billion in savings yes. by October 2nd, which is something that a lot of these MPs and cabinet members aren't used to having to do that type of exercise. Cutback mm. spending? What? 
Why? 15 million, y'all. And so far, I've heard from several of the MPs, they're like, well, sure, as long as it doesn't change delivery of services, as long as it doesn't impact. How do you find 15 billion and not change anything? I, I feel like that's not a thing. You're going to have to. <laughs> says they can spend 15 billion and not change anything but <laughs> <laughs> exactly how do you do it the uh, other way because that oh. it's coincidentally about the same amount that volkswagen's getting for the new, the new mm, coincidence or oh, not calvin well, there's all kinds of places you can find where the government's spending this type of money yes. it's just a matter yeah exactly where are they going exactly. to find where are you going to find it and is it it will potentially agriculture lawrence mccauley might have to find uh some things to uh to contribute in this Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that would be a yeah, yeah. That that would be right, like perfect, wouldn't it? Like, of all the fat to be trimmed in in government spending, it would be totally like just yeah. Ugh, to to focus on agriculture as as the area would like is well, some of these focus. But I wonder. I, I bet every cabinet minister has pressure being applied to them to bring something to the table. Well, yeah, I, well, I do wonder. Will environment have to? Will environment have to do? Will, uh. Wow. That's a good question. <laughs> He's the golden boy, so maybe, maybe not everybody at Kevin. He's yeah, taking exactly. some heat this week with the China. What, Kelvin? Do you do you have any in sort of background there on on what's happened with Gibo and in, in China? Just seen well, a lot headed, of headlines this week. He's headed to China for a meeting, and and he's apparently on the board or an advisor to this organization that is focused on advancing environmental issues and, and causes in, in China. It's affiliated with the Chinese government. So that's where a lot of the criticism is here. Like what is a Canadian cabinet minister doing working closely and, and cooperating, collaborating with the Chinese government on this? But I guess the counter argument is we, uh, we keep saying, well, if Canada does it, Canada, a lot of critics of in liberal environmental policy, of course, we say, well, Canada is just a small drop in the bucket. China's building X number of coal plants every week and, and coming online every week kind of thing. So I guess the counterpoint and maybe Gibo's argument on this is that, well, if uh, if we keep pointing the finger at China, maybe we need to do something to make China change. And I don't know, I guess he's optimistic that visiting China and co- cooperating with them is the approach to take. I think a lot of people would be uh, a lot quite skeptical of that that will actually be effective. Though. I have my hand in the air. I don't know if you can see it, but I'm, <laughs> I'm in the skeptical it's radio. club. It's radio, Sean. It hasn't worked with a lot of other things. You this approach, think? So. Maybe, really? yeah, maybe, he'll, maybe he'll climb a tower. And um, <laughs> goodness gracious. Hey, before we take a break, I want to tell you, you know, you've heard of greenwashing, okay? Um, and, and we see all these companies, you know, proclaiming their ESG commitments and net zero by this date and that date. And, oh, yeah, they're doing this. We're going to do that. And this is kind of a race from the, on the PR side of things. Well, now there's a new thing, good article in the Globe, talking about green hushing. Oh, finally, this is like, it doesn't mean they're not going to, they're lowering their commitment to being sustainable partners with, with, you know, the, the global community or the Canadian community. But what they're doing is they're letting their actions talk, not necessarily their PR firm. This this would be a positive, I think, Lindsay. Well, I guess it depends. And Calvin maybe has more to say on this than I do. I First of all, it, it really is, I think, the first time I heard the term green hushing. I love new words. This is fantastic. Um, or does it mean, I guess another way, and Calvin, maybe you want to weigh in here, but or does this mean that a certain level of the ESG carbon capture 
net zero, whatever has just become table stakes. And really it's less about, you know, investors needing to hear it and it just becomes the expectation. And so we're moving on. That is a part of it. Or is it because of the standards, you know, coming into play that there's less playing fast and loose with some of these claims and there's a little more, you know, structure to what you can actually claim. I think that's probably a part of it. Um, Kevin, you had wanted to hop in. Hop in here on this one before. I, just want to say, yeah. I, I have major respect for anybody that uh, lives by the premise that actions speak louder than words. Show, don't tell. And and if companies are doing that, good for them. I just wonder that if a lot of this has to do with those initial claims being unrealistic. And like you said, Lindsay, not uh, not based in reality or, or not being actually accomplishable. And, and we, of course, the way the financial accounting system works and quarterly earnings reports and shareholder reporting having to happen and all that type of thing. Companies have this incentive often to look at the short term, not the long term. And as the long term approaches and you realize we're not accomplishing our goals, maybe we should be quiet about not having accomplished what we said we were going to. I think there's some of that reality setting in here. And the reality of Lindsay mentioned table stakes, Wall Street not reacting as positively as they were to some of these messaging messages from corporate clients. They didn't believe them to start off with. Well, and the consumer and the consumer. And and that may be one of the key pieces here. If you can't attach some of this to demand, then you'd have people around that corporate board table saying, what are we exactly doing here? Okay. Let's take a break. We got more of the real leg issues panel coming up right after this quick break here on rural radio. One forty seven. Johnson at WheatPeakRealAgriculture.com. I'm the host of The Word, and I love doing The Word. I love the questions. I love the challenges. I love having to apply agronomics to all over the globe and areas outside of my normal jurisdiction. Also, I love the feedback the most where growers challenge me, tell me about their plot results, help me to learn. The Word, absolutely the best part of my day. Canola is more than just a pretty face in the prairie landscape. It's a big business, both here and around the world, that requires you to be informed and up-to-date on everything it takes to grow a successful crop. The Canola School on realagriculture.com has an expert library of video resources covering markets, agronomy, and more to help you grow a healthy and profitable canola crop. Visit canolaschool.com today. Brought to you by BASF Canada and Invigor Hybrid Canola. And welcome back to Real Ag Radio for the Real Ag Issues panel with Lindsay Smith, Kelvin Hepner, Sean Haney. Uh, Kelvin, we got another round of earnings here on Wall Street. And I think a lot of the audience would be interested. Deer's earnings, positive. Yeah, positive, uh, coming in much larger than expected in terms of earnings per share. Wall Street was looking for earnings of something around 8.20 a share on equipment sales of 14.1 billion. And Deer this morning reported earnings per share of ten dollars twenty cents, uh, and uh, and fourteen point three billion dollars in in uh, overall equipment sales. So, yeah, blowing through uh, expectations there at least on a per share basis. So, yeah, and this is in line with uh, what we've heard from Agco and CNH and Caterpillar, uh, Bueller Industries. Uh, all these companies yeah. have had strong quarterly reports in the second quarter of, uh, of 2023. The question, though, now I think shifts and uh, market is already looking to this as well, is how long does this last? Where is the where are we at in the cycle? Is this is this the top? I, yeah, well, yeah, it, it feels that way. Uh, there's a, indi- there seems to be some indications of that. And 
what may be most at the top is not necessarily earnings, but it's pricing. That that's that's what we continue to sort of hear. If you if you go through some of these these earnings statements, pricing may be at the top, Lindsay. Which honestly, I think farmers are going to have a big sigh of relief if that's what's happens. Well, I mean, is this sort of similar though too to like inflation slowing down, but it's still inflation over an inflated price? Like, yes, I think if if price increases slow or even you know, plateau, great, but they've still sort of had that step change jump up like just about everything else. So I don't know if it adds all that much relief. At the same time, I also think it's not perhaps surprising that the outlook is this is probably, you know, the peak and and we either level off or, or start to perhaps pull back from here as far as earnings go, if only because, again, you know, the the inflation rates and, and these sorts of things they take time to sort of work them way, themselves into the market, and and perhaps that's what we're seeing here as we move through through the rest of the, of the year here for sure. There there are some there's some data out showing that dealers are also restocking inventory that inventory amounts on dealer lots is is increasing and so I think what's good for Wall Street and shareholders isn't always what's good for farmers who are, are shopping for equipment and so uh, if mm-hmm. uh, if there's more inventory on the local dealers lot that usually is a, a good sign for farmers in terms of the prices not climbing as fast. Well, I'll tell you, you dealers are the one caught in the middle, right? Like yeah. management of your business. In this kind of time, this is where you, you know, cash is king, and you overbloat that lot with inventory, and you are short on cash. That that puts your dealership in a very compromised uh, position. And, Sorry, and they're going to be very careful with that in this very, very poorly cost where they are. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of equipment. When it comes to the productivity and efficiency of your operation, every decision counts. One of those decisions is how you fuel your equipment. You need to be sure that it will run efficiently and without unnecessary downtime. Count on co-op and your local co-op fuel team to keep your equipment running smoothly with seasonally blended high-quality fuels and premium lubricants with guaranteed performance. We are Western Canada. We are fueling harvest. We are co-op. Lindsay, do you think that you comfortably... We're going to get personal here. I got a question for you. Do you think that you are comfortable being yourself? Oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah, I'm, um, I'm going somewhere with this. this so I was get... wondering where you're going with this. I'm like, hmm. Um, you know what? Sure, yes, now. Uh, but definitely that is a, I think that is a process. I think that is definitely something that takes time. And I would like to think by this time in, in your life, uh, as we approach mid-40s, if you're not, you got some work to do. So let's put it that way. Well, I have a surprise for Kelvin. I have uh, This week, I interviewed Brian Burke, former general manager of the Toronto May Police, and he addressed the crowd at CBIC. And this is one of the things that he talked about was being yourself and just letting the, the chips fall and not apologizing. Here's what Brian Burke had to say. Well, I think it starts off with um, the way I was raised by my parents. Um, we were taught to speak our mind, and like I said on the story before, my grandma told us, don't ever start fights, but finish every single one of them. So I think it's a combination of that. And I worked for, for played for Lou Lamorello, worked for Pat Quinn, and worked for Gary Bettman. I think all of those guys had an influence on me where people were, okay, if you have the conviction of your beliefs, speak forcefully and don't back down. So I think over time you acquire that. 
And I've reached a point now where I don't care if people agree with the message or, or like it or not. Kelvin, is that what your mom taught you? Was don't, <laughs> don't start fights, but finish them? Uh, I don't know. If, I don't know if she said it as strongly as what uh, what Brian Burke said there, but uh, yeah, he certainly that's what he's come to be known for, and certainly is well respected for for that. And uh, you you mentioned him as the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's he was also general manager of like a few other important teams to our fan bases or to our uh, audience so. as well. Fan base, other fan bases out there: Vancouver, Anaheim, Calgary, Pittsburgh. As of earlier this year so yeah yeah pretty cool that you got to hear uh speak with him i'm looking forward to listening to that interview and uh yeah jealous i'm sure he had many great stories he's like just one of the epic legendary characters in in the world of hockey right now yeah he interesting you know we get to interview at some of these conferences some people outside the industry once in a while and that could be you know like the time that uh you interviewed brian mulrooney um Lindsay, I, oh, I'm, who was the... Romeo Dallaire. That's who I'm thinking yeah. of. Yes, yes, thank you. That's exactly what I was thinking of. That was the yeah. time where he said in order to deal with some of his pain, he smokes weed. Um, yes. <laughs> before it was legal. Uh, yeah. the, you know, a lot of times you're like pleasantly surprised getting to meet the person. Sometimes you are epically disappointed in terms of like, I really never need to meet that person ever again. And, and sometimes you are just so blown away by someone's genuineness. And that, that's, the, that's the feeling I got from Brian Burke. He was uh, tremendous, ge- tremendously generous with his time with me, as well as many of the delegates. So check out, check out his book, Burke's Law, and we'll have my interview with him posted at realagriculture.com shortly for, for, for sure. And, you know, Lindsay, on this note of being yourself, I, I think it's, you know, and this is one of the things that Brian and I talk about in the interview. It's easy once you get to that stage where you really don't care what people think, but as you're rising up in your career and you know working from your 20s to your 30s to your 40s and then into your 50s how you've you're, you have different equity levels <laughs> with, with stakeholders right and your your reputation speaks for yourself positively or negatively it, 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 this is a progression for people to be able to to deal with other people in this agricultural community to provide influence or discussion points it, it just doesn't happen on day 1 it doesn't, but I think I think being intentional about these things, I think that you can even early in your career or and and wherever that might be in age, I think if you like if you think about that from his perspective of, you know, don't start fights but finish them, uh being true to who you are, you know, having that firm foundation, I think that you perhaps, yes, maybe you're you you don't say as much earlier on, or perhaps you listen more. But I honestly think that's probably good advice all the way through. And and realistically, you know, figuring out what matters to you, what's important to you, you know, valuing your integrity and and speaking your mind. If you do it in a respectful way, I don't know that you know you have to be super worried about where it lands. That being said, it's true. The the further we get into our career, there are times where, you know, we understand what the follow-up might be and perhaps we're just willing to take that on because, you know, we're established at, at where we need to be. And and so, but honestly, if I were thinking about, you know, someone starting their career, I think it's just good advice to to listen perhaps more than you say, um, but always, always say what you mean and just do so respectfully. Yeah, you know, I, I got the, the sort of the, the hint that, you know, some of the messaging that uh, Burke had, a lot of the delegates in the audience and, and Sherry Copperthorne was the was the uh, 
the host in the fireside chat. You know, this this is advice the beef industry should be taking. Far too many times the industry is attacked and we we don't battle back. We sort of back down. And I, I think there was a little bit of I think some of the people in the audience took Burke's messaging kind of to hold Kelvin and like, hey, we need to do more of this. Yeah, it depends how you do it. It, it, it comes down to like two people can say the exact same thing and uh, one is convincing to the other side and one just increases the distance and that gap between them. We, we saw this, of course, over the last couple of years with pandemic policy and all the divisions and polarization that happened there. We see it in politics today with all the partisanship and, and uh, increasing in that gap between the two sides. It, it all depends how you, how you, like Lindsay said, say what you mean, say what, say what you believe, but uh, there's different ways of, of saying it. And I don't know if Burke's the best example at always having, uh, like, he, cha- he, he did challenge another general manager to a, a fight in a barn in rural Alberta, I believe, right? Where, where was, <laughs> did he tell that story? No, he didn't. Because he, so I, I'm not sure he's always the best example at, uh, at that. But yeah, he certainly is, is a prime example of uh, standing up for what you believe in. Well, what did the guy say? Yeah. And the beef industry. Oh, I should do that. Well, him and Kevin Lowe. Well, I'd get in a fight with Kevin Lowe, too. There's a story about him and Kevin Lowe, uh, general manager of the Edmonton Oilers, challenging each other to, uh, like, they're professional exec- NHL executives. Oh yeah, I, I don't know all the details well enough to to repeat it here, but. Yeah. How is that on Instagram? Man. Oh, I'm sure it is. It's, it's been all over. Probably somewhere. Okay. Okay, we're at time. Hey, Lindsay, have yourself a great weekend. You too. Kelvin, all the best. Thank you. Have a good weekend, everyone. Okay, audience. I'm taking off. So I'm going on vacation, but I want you to send your feedback and we'll make sure that host Lindsay gets it. Uh, you can send me an email, shaney at realagriculture.com. You can also call the Real Life Feedback line, 855-776-6147. Thanks, everybody, for getting real and getting connected with Real Life Radio. And we will chat again next week. Cheers, everybody. Cheers.